We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You're listening to Rampage Radio Podcast. That's how the Rams play football. How do you make that call? I just don't understand that. That's the Rams we know right there. What is he doing? No shot. No shot. Break it down. I worry. You know, got a great team. Um, show you a lot about us. You know, even you know we're always gonna stick together no matter what. You know, no matter the outcome of the game. So that's why I like this team. Uh, it really doesn't matter what the outside thinks. So I'm not really concerned with that. Uh, you know, we we fought our tails off. I mean, Seattle is a good team, and Russell Wilson's playing out of his mind right now, and, and what he can do to extend plays. I mean. Outside of the one where uh, I blew uh, MPs, the one on MP, that's that's me. Outside of that, I mean, we're co- covering them up, and then he improvises and makes plays. So it's just a tough challenge on any defense, let alone ours. So, but you know, we had a chance. Guys got to stop late, and you know, we didn't get it done. But uh, our confidence isn't shaking off after these last two weeks. Their confidence is not shaken. And neither should your confidence in the Rams be shaken. I know mine's not. I have no reason 
to have doubts about this team right now. What's good? Thanks for tuning in to Rampage Radio Podcast. This is your boy J-Rob right here. You can follow us at Rampage Radio Pod on Twitter. You can also follow Rams Talk at Talk Rams. Make sure you check out Butting Heads and you check out Rams Undisputed. So, listen, everybody is lit up over this game. Everybody is still having trouble wrapping their mind around how good or how bad this team is. Let's go ahead and take a look at the nitty-gritty stuff and, and pinpoint what we like and don't like. There's no need to be upset or aggravated about all this stuff. All right, Seattle is a very good team. You just heard Todd Gurley say he loves his team because of the way they are. And you just heard Eric Weddle said, say, our confidence is not shaken. Russell Wilson is a stud, okay? And just to let you know how much of a stud this guy is, he has a completion percentage, which is the best in the NFL, at 72.9%. He is at a 101 career passer rating, which is second all-time only to Aaron Rodgers. So we're not playing no scrub out here, y'all. But yet, the narrative is still, wow, what is wrong with our team? Why is our offense having such a hard time getting moving in the first half? That is very valid. What I just said is absolutely very valid. And the, the deal is, simply, is... Everyone's putting six guys on the defensive front. And then you're seeing Todd Gurley moving up just in front of Jared Goff to pick up the oncoming blitzer. I mean, the, all these teams are doing the same thing to us. And we're starting to see how we're going to respond. And we're three and two. I mean, we're not playing our best football right now. And that's something that was not on the earlier in the podcast here when I played Eric Weddle's piece. He said, you don't want to be playing your best football in September, October. You want to be playing your best football in January. So let's go ahead and figure out now how we're going to beat this six-man defensive blitzing front we're facing. All right, And you're starting to see us do some things to negate all that pressure that Goff has been feeling. And it has been a lot of pressure. Over the first course of this season. Uh, But the thing is, the offense played their best game, in my opinion. And I think others have noted it as well. The entire season, last game. And we lost. Okay, we lost by a field goal. Now, could we have won the game? Absolutely. Has Greg Z made that kick time and time again? Yes, he has. But sometimes you're just going to end up on uh, on the wrong side of the scoreboard. And that's what happened here. I mean, give our dadgum team some credit, guys. They went in there, they strapped it on, and they went toe-to-toe with a very, very good team and a quarterback that improvs on impulse and can extend plays and make you pay for it. That's what happened. And why wouldn't you try to run the ball down people's throats when you were the best at doing it last season and you have Chris Carson, who looks like a monster and a machine this season, and they're already trying to duplicate that by running the ball down people's throats. Why wouldn't you do that? That's how their team is built. And when you have a guy like Russell Wilson who can do a whole bunch of RPOs and then bootlegs and then rush for 15, 20 yards or pop, that's tough to stop. And and, and you have to be okay with that. You're, you can't expect to say, okay, let's just spy the quarterback or have a QB contain and, and just play coverage. No, he'll pick you apart or, or do some draw plays with Carson. Dude, these guys are good, man. And so, yeah, it's okay to be disappointed. But it's not okay to be like livid about this game. And if that's you, then you need to check yourself because this team is a good team and the Rams are a good team and they both should be there at the end, all right? 
All right, so with that being said, this game was obviously a tale of two separate halves. You have the Rams' offense, which is pretty much stagnant the first entire half, and then the second half, which we've kind of gotten accustomed to seeing, they kind of explode and figure it out, make some adjustments, and end up putting some points on the board, and the defense was quite the same. You have the first half where they were more dominant, and then the second half where they kind of got exposed on certain things, but again, that was more credit to Russell Wilson being able to extend plays, make the quote-unquote off-scheduled plays, and run for first downs, have big runs because there's uh, no no contain on the up the middle or the outside. The guy is just a freak of an athlete and he can beat you in so many different ways that you can't really game plan one particular thing when it comes to Russell Wilson and that is why their run game is also as effective as it was is because of the fact that that guy Wilson that is can beat you in so many different ways and I really feel like it would be a disjustice to not give credit where credit is due. And that is simply to Schottenheimer and the Seattle Seahawks offense. And as much as I dislike Seattle, which is a great deal, uh, you have to tip your cap to them because they were able to move the ball. They were able to get some things established on the ground. And again, Russell Wilson is just, he's an MVP caliber player. Whether or not he wins it this year or not is yet to be seen or determined. But the guy put up those types of numbers every year and he is their offense the offense runs around him and the offensive line that they put out there was better than what we've seen in the past I mean they didn't really address the offensive line per se this offseason uh, but having Dwayne Brown who they acquired last year has been a, a great pickup and Upati is better than what they've had in the past but overall it's really Russell Wilson and it's his show and that's why the Rams defense was was exposed is because of that guy. You you can game plan for him. I mean, you have to account for Russell Wilson. But at the same time, like I said just moments ago, the guy makes so many plays that you cannot game plan for. And so you can't just sit here and say, oh, the defense is struggling here or there. Man, why, how are they giving up this play? Or why is he not covering over here? Or why is this guy not blitzing? Or why are we not blitzing? Well, it's simply because of Russell Wilson, period. And I'm not getting on Wilson's high horse here. Don't get it twisted. All right. I don't love Russell Wilson. I respect him because of how good he is and what he can do on the field. And although I don't know what he is like off the field, it sure does seem like he serves his community well and people love that guy. If he was on the Rams, I'm sure I would love him. No doubt. Simply because he would be wearing the horns. And that that's what he, I mean, he's like an idol to Seattle fans. So, again, I'm not getting on his high horse. I'm just stating the simple fact that Russell Wilson is a game changer, not a game manager, but a game changer. He can change the outcome of a game on one play, and then the momentum shifts, and then it's like, what do we do now? Because of Russell Wilson. All right, enough on him. Uh, I want to go ahead and talk about, you know, just the defense in general since we're talking about the, the Seattle's offense. Here's the thing about the defense I am not one of those fans, and there are quite a few of them right now, that is concerned about the defense. And you talk about concerned, that means like I'm worried or what's going to happen? Oh no. No, I'm not concerned. We faced a good team. 
And that's what Eric Weddle said in the introduction of the podcast with his interview. We faced a good team. This defense has done some good things, a lot of good things. They're going to get beat. The 55 debacle against Tampa Bay, in my mind, is going to end up being an outlier. Uh, I, I don't think it would be typical to see us give up 30 points. But when you play really good teams, sometimes that just happens <laughs> because you're facing a good team. Uh, DK Metcalf, he's a solid player. Chris Carson, he's a solid player. Tyler Lockett, he's a solid player. And apparently, Disley really made a name for himself against us and said, hey, here am I. And he's, I guess, a solid player. And on our defense, there are solid players all over the place. I mean, I don't have to elaborate and go in and start name dropping. We all know who they are. But the fact is, the defense was not particularly bad. (laughs) They were able to stop the run some in the first half, and they've done a better job of stopping the run through this part of the season than they have in previous years. I'm not going to pull up numbers. You can just watch the games and see, oh, well, we're not giving up the long 25-plus yard plays. Now, we did do that against Tampa Bay, and some of them were called back. But overall, this team has performed better, in my eyes, against run than in his previous seasons. And that's something that, that encourages me personally. Uh, Because the quicker you can make a team one-dimensional, the better off that you're going to be. And our defense is kind of really set up to stop the pass. I mean, we know that we don't have thumpers inside, although Troy Reader kind of made a name for himself uh, on the defensive side for the Rams. I mean, the guy was in on 13 tackles, for crying out loud. And he had great coverage on the on the dime that was dropped to Disley by Wilson. It was great coverage. You go back and watch in the first half, there was a play where, where he just drops the dime to Disley. He makes a very good catch, and Troy Reader's all over him. Guys are going to make plays. you got to just tip your cap to the guy. I mean, we don't see that enough in sports. You see baseball where guys hit bombs, and they end up getting robbed. And what do they do? They tip their cap to the outfielder. That doesn't happen very often in sports in general, and it certainly doesn't happen in football very much. But you have to tip your cap to Wilson and Disley on that particular play because Troy Reader performed well. The defense as a whole, in my mind, performed well. What? What are you talking about, Jerob? How can you say that? Because I truly believe that the defense as a whole performed well. They got beat on plays, yes, but they did a good job. Russell Wilson is the guy back there that is avoiding sacks and making those plays and running out of the pocket. It's him. You can't nab the defense for things that aren't scheduled. You call a play, you send it in as defensive coordinator, as Wade has done for years, and you hope that they can execute. And when they do execute, things don't go right for the offense, and then, oh, wait a second, Russell Wilson running around. Come on, man. Come on. You can't expect them to make every stop, all right? And the defense did perform pretty well. Now, should they have stopped the run a little bit better in the second half? Okay, yes, I agree. That's why we can take a look at these things and say, how can we get better? How do we improve in tackling? Or how do we improve in staying in our gaps? Or how do we improve in play calling? That's the whole point of being able to to dive into this thing and take a look at the details. And the details tell you that sometimes you just get beat. Sometimes you don't 
execute. And that's what the Rams didn't do in the second half when it came to stopping Chris Carson. And the Seattle Seahawks were able to move our defensive line and allow him to run through pretty sizable holes. But they weren't sizable enough to say, man, we were gashed on the ground today or during the game. We were gashed. No. The guy's built like a rock. He received the ball 27 times, as far as carries goes, for 118 yards. And that averaged about 4.4 per carry. And the guy's shifty. Go back and watch it. You'll see some times where he is stopped in the backfield, where he's lined up in the shotgun next to Russell Wilson, and he has to change his direction because there's pressure up the middle from Joseph Day, which some of you guys don't like Joseph Day, and that's okay, I get it. I don't think it's right to be calling for his replacement yet. We saw Greg Gaines get in on some of the action, and he also created some pressure up the middle. Not much, but the few snaps that he was there, he wasn't bad. But I don't think that now is the time to call for Joseph Day to get out of there. I don't think that's the right play. But not to get off track, we created some pressure up the middle, and it caused Carson to be shifty back there and to change his direction, which led to missed tackles. I mean, the guy caused us to miss like six tackles in just the first half alone. He caused six missed tackles. And that was kind of what dictated the rest of the running game for the rest of the night for Seattle. So it wasn't like terrible, in my opinion. Are the stats going to tell you otherwise? Yeah, perhaps they will. But you held Alvin Kamara in check. So why couldn't you hold Carson in check? Well, A, they're two different types of running backs. And B, you have Russell Wilson to deal with opposed to Drew Brees or Teddy Bridgewater. Big discrepancy there and a big difference. Not to mention, the Rams are actually only allowing 106.8 yards. I say only, but 106.8 yards per game, which is actually 15th in the league right now through five weeks. The best is Philadelphia, and they're allowing 63 per game. So, it's not terrible what they're doing against the run. It ain't great, it's not stellar, but it's not terrible. They have some things to fix, you know, that, that there's, there's always going to be things to fix. If you were to play a game 100% on every snap, you would never lose. You would never lose if you did everything right every game. <laughs> I mean, that's what the Patriots almost did in 2008 when they got beaten in the Super Bowl by the New York Giants. They were perfect, but they weren't perfect because you can't be perfect in the NFL. Everybody's good. Everybody gets paid. Everybody's playing for their jobs every day. And that's what happens here. That's why the Rams lost a close game and giving up rushing yards is part of that. Facing Russell Wilson and Carson is part of that. Dealing with injuries like to Taylor Rapp, part of it. Next man up. That's the slogan we hear all the time. Who's going to step up? And on defense, this day, it was Troy Reader. Not to mention, your boy Dante Fowler is still making plays all over the place and continuing to establish himself as a top-tier pass rusher. Are you going to pay that guy? Are you going to bring him back? Who's going to step up now that Clay Matthews is out with a broken jaw? Okoronkwo? Ibu Cam? Are you going to start blitzing more? We're going to have to see. 
because it's going to have to start this week against San Francisco. <laughs> That's just the truth. And stopping the run needs to be your priority. Can't really allow 106 yards this game to Burita. The guy's a good runner. Make Garoppolo beat you. You know, it's again, it's not Russell Wilson. It's Garoppolo. He ain't, he's not nearly as mobile as Wilson is. Duh. See it. Shocker. But the Rams were good against the run for the most part this game. Carson and company did enough. And I thought that the Rams did enough to win. They had the lead going into the fourth quarter. And it came down to a field goal to walk out of Seattle, a very difficult place to play, with a victory. How can you be disappointed? Sure, I'm upset that the Rams allowed that much rushing yards to those guys. But you know what? Those guys are athletes. You can't always win those battles. Hello. Against the pass, they did just as well. <laughs> Outside of the breakdown, which Weddle admitted to making the mistake when which Marcus Peters got beat deep by Metcalf on the bomb, they did well. They made some mistakes. Obviously, at the end of the game, when Wilson was trying to scramble, he found Carson in the end zone. Well, that's because he scrambled and caused leave to come off of the coverage and try to make a play on Wilson, who just dumps it off to the end zone. Easy pitch and catch. Score. And that happened a lot tonight because you were getting pressure from the middle, i.e. Aaron Donald, and from the edges and Fowler and Clay Matthews. But again, it's still Russell Wilson. He's still able to make plays out of nothing when things get busted up. That's why it's so hard to contain and beat these guys when that guy is at quarterback. And it seems to me like the only way you could truly beat Russell Wilson is not by necessarily playing coverage, which is what we did, but blitzing the guy and getting his rear end on the ground. I mean, dadgummit, if he's going to beat you by running the ball, send more guys and wrap him up. Make their receivers beat you. I trust Corey Littleton on Disley. I trust Tlaib on Metcalf, and I trust Peters on Lockett as long as you blanket a safety up there with him between John Johnson and Weddle. I mean, dude, that's not the game plan, though. That's not how we approached it, and we still almost won. But it seems like the way you beat Seattle is you get get Wilson, their best player, on the ground. But then when you do that, then you're risking him getting out of there and busting off huge runs over and over and over again. You don't want that. That's why it's such a chess match. Why it's such a cat and mouse game. What do you have to do to win? How do you contain? You're not going to stop anybody. Especially at the caliber of Wilson and the rest of that crew. You're not going to stop them. As long as you can contain them, that's what matters more than anything. And the Rams did just enough, in my opinion, to be able to contain them to come out of there with a victory. And against the pass, when you take a look at that deal, it was more the big plays that were established and started by Wilson in the first place. You gave up 262 yards of passing. Check this out. Disley had four receptions for 81 yards. Four receptions. Lockett had four receptions for 51 yards. Metcalf, two receptions for 44 yards. Jerron Brown, two receptions for 36 yards. And Rashad Penny, two receptions for 31 yards. Big plays that are started by Russell Wilson eluding pressure 
and then coverage gets busted up. You can't expect the corners to be able to stay in the zones forever. The, the holes are going to open up. The windows are going to be there, and guys are going to change direction, just like Gerald Everett did late in the game when Jared Goff had to do a bootleg to his right. There was a big open hole of window, and he just sat down in coverage, and Jared found him. This is no different than what Seattle does, except they do it almost at a perfectionist-type level because of Russell Wilson and how good he is at throwing the ball on the run and being able to run. So in my mind, if you take a step back and look at the grand scheme of things, it was not the defense's effort that truly lost you this game. I feel like it was the ineptness of the offense in the beginning that kind of made your defense stand up for you, in which they did. Did they have a lead going into the second half? No, but they gave you the lead, and you had a lead going into the fourth quarter. If we were playing the Jets or the Broncos or somebody of that caliber and we were giving up 30-plus points, yes, call me concerned or worried at that point. But that's not the case. We're playing a team that has a boatload of talent and can beat you in a multitude of different ways. Why are you upset? Why are you discouraged and yelling about this thing? You're 3-2, and two and you have a chance to go and beat the San Francisco 49ers and put yourself right back up top with Seattle for the division. This team is not going to miss out on the playoffs. They're not going to do it. And I'll eat crow right here, right now, or at the end, rather, if they do end up missing the playoffs, bearing a big injury like to Goff. But they're going to make the playoffs. And they're going to have to stop the run. Look at last year's playoffs. They were really good against the run. They held the highest scoring offense, the New England Patriots, to 13 points. They're going to get it figured out. Right now, it's not all clicking, just like the offense. But the defense is more on the same page than the offense is, unless you're talking about the second half. And speaking of the second half, we'll talk about the offense a little bit, or I will. Uh, But right now, just want to let you guys know about Jim Hawk and the 1950s Los Angeles Ram. Uh, It's a book that I have not read yet, and I probably should, even though I'm not a reader. Make sure you check that out. And also, my bookie. Yo, check out this little plug. We're back. We're back to the studio. No, days. no. Just say, we're back. We're back to the Chudas. We're back to the Rams. Back to my house. No. Yeah. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, he says. And I will say that. Welcome back to Rampage Radio Podcast. You can follow us at Rampage Radio Pod on Twitter. Make sure you follow at Talk Rams on Twitter. Check out Rams Undisputed and Butting Heads, as well as Ram Brothers, all on Rams Talk Network. Uh, hallelujah, my little boy says. If you caught our Twitter feed, you could see where my little dude was uh, wanting to be in on the recording with me. So, back to the offense. Wow. Um, 30 points just about. Nope, didn't do it. 29 to be exact. And you had a chance to walk out. You had a chance to win the game. And you put it on your kicker, Greg the Leg, who has been very good since he got into the league. Uh, man, Jared Goff. 
I don't know how people don't like this guy. I don't know why he's still catching the flack that he does. The guy still throws darts. He still drops dimes. Did you see the play to Brandon Cooks in which he got concussed? Let's hope we have him back. Ball was a dime. How about the one to Cooper Cup when they were playing deep zone coverage and he put it over the corner who almost tipped it? Dime. Why is this guy still catching flack? Dude, your offensive line is what's hurting you. Your offensive line is one of the lowest rated offensive units in the league right now. That's why you're struggling. And it's coming from up the middle. Was it the best game that they have played so far up to date? Yeah, sure. It was. Yeah. As a unit, it was the best game they played so far. It was the best game that the entire Rams team as a whole has played so far together. Offense, defense, special teams. There's been games where the defense has played better. There's been a game where the offense has played better. But as a unit, it's it's all kind of coming together a little bit, but not quite. And it seems like we're starting to figure out the six-man defensive line front that we're facing, where we have to put Todd Gurley up right behind the center's butthole. Yeah, starting to figure that out a little bit. We were backed up on our own one-yard line, and what happens on second and long... Fake draw play. Jared Goff comes up firing a dart on slant to Woods. Just throws it behind him. It was the right call. It was there. Just missed him. He's going to miss plays. He's going to miss throws. But I don't know how you don't like this guy Goff. Because I sure do. And I wanted Wentz. I'll be the first to tell you. I wanted the more athletic Wentz. But I tell you, the mindset and the grit that Goff has, just like on the two-point conversion, almost got his knee chopped off. But he almost made it. He gave everything he had. Gotta like that. You gotta like that. And you gotta like that the guy threw for 395 yards with a touchdown. I mean, the pick was... You gotta throw picks. And he's had a lot of turnovers. He's had nine turnovers so far this year. And I think two of them have been fumbles. And seven of them have been interceptions. Which is crazy that he has that many but it just goes to show that everything is not right in the world on the offense but they're still putting up points they're still scoring and we're still winning and we're still running the same formations we're mixing in a lot more now but and what you knew was going to happen over time you knew that other teams were going to start doing things to you to make you show different looks and we're having to do that But there's no doubt in my mind that Jared Goff is an extension of Sean McVay. No doubt. And I'm so glad that we extended Goff and extended McVay to keep that camaraderie that we have going. I wish there was more camaraderie with Todd Gurley. Only getting 15 carries for 51 yards, although he scored two touchdowns. I like that we got him more involved. And I, I like that we threw it to him three times, even though it went for six yards. But you got to continue to incorporate him in the offense because the offense really truly does run around him. We are a pass first team. I've come to grips with that. I've already said that in a previous podcast. As much as I love to run the ball and play defense, we have evolved into a different league now and everybody's throwing it. And we, uh, we've kind of followed suit. And that's okay with me now. Because I love the team, and I love McVay, and I love the marriage between him and Goff. But you got to get Gurley more involved. I mean, check this out. Through the first four games, all right, first four games of 2017, Todd Gurley had 106 touches. 
2018, 94. This year, 60. So there's been a steady decrease of action for Todd Gurley through the first four games. Now, obviously, we tacked on 15 more carries and three more receptions this game. But, again, the guy is a beast. And so if you truly are saving that guy, I get it, and I hope he's ready to go. Because whenever you talk about Todd Gurley, it sits in the back of your mind is what is with his knee. And we don't need to keep saying that over and over and over, but it definitely sits on the back burner because it has you concerned. And the guy fumbled. He's, he's fumbled a few times this year in which most of them have been brought back to the offense to an offensive lineman or a receiver falling on it. But he fumbled for the first time since week three of 2018. And that is, goes over a period of 338 touches. First one. And it came at a bad time. When you're almost, you're in the red zone and, and you fumble the ball, it just, just can't happen. And he'd be the first one to tell you that. We all know that they can't happen, but you make mistakes. Sometimes guys just outplay you, and that happens. But Todd Gurley's the cowbell to this team, and the team does truly run around him. I don't understand necessarily always how the play action is still so effective for our team when we don't really run the ball. Like, How does that still work? I mean, you still have defensive ends who are trying to go after Todd Gurley instead of staying course and going after Goff to get the sack. And in getting around Havenstein, which has been an easier thing to do this year than past seasons, why defenses aren't still doing that? They're still thrown off by the play action for some reason. And it's like, dude, why? Why? You know they they have Cooks, Woods, and Cup, and now Everett and Higby. I mean, those all five of those guys are are legit threats. Why are you still being fooled by the play action when you don't really run the ball? Why? Because if you look at the track record of this season so far, and primarily of McVay's entire coaching career as a head coach for the Rams, we don't really run first. Again, we pass the ball. We use the pass to set up the run, but yet your best player is your running back. So why is the play action still so effective? Somebody tell me. And that is why. What do you mean? Because you're very good at running the same formations and making them look like runs when they're actually going to be play action. That's the genius behind Sean McVay. And what else is genius is the fact that he can make halftime adjustments, which I am so glad that I can get used to saying that and have been used to saying that since he's entered the picture. You couldn't say that with previous regimes over the past two decades. You just couldn't say that. Now you can say that. Well, we're going to have to make some adjustments, and sure enough, you come out and you do, and it's like, well, the Rams are a second-half team. Well, yeah, because you make adjustments. And that's something this team has always done under McVay. And it should not change. I mean, <laughs> you got to be happy about that. Excited to know that when you go in to the tunnel after halftime, whether you're up or you're down, that they're going to come out and do some different things in the second half to make them have an edge over the opponent. And we're going to have to do that against San Francisco this upcoming week. And that's something that the Rams did against Seattle, which is why the offense got going in the second half. And that's been the story all season long, that the offense gets going in the second half, for the most part, is because of the adjustments. And they're not like big-time crazy adjustments. They're small, minute, detail-oriented adjustments that the uh, the, uh, the opposing defensive coordinator is not going to notice or not going to see until it's too late. 
And there are a ton of adjustments that you and I as fans will never see. We're not in on the meetings or the walkthroughs that these guys go through. So we don't know what the game plan is. But the difference is on third and 13, you're not throwing screens as much anymore. Woohoo! Get excited. You're throwing crossing routes and you're converting some of them. That's an adjustment. You got to give credit to McVeigh and those guys. And then you have different personnel on different plays and you're not running the same play. You're running different plays, but they're different concepts. So the chess game between the coaches is a real thing. And we don't really know what's going on inside their heads. And we don't really see it all unfold as fans. Unless you played the game or unless you've coached yourself and you know all the lingo and the details, you don't really know. Because guys are always, the the whole game is adjustments. That goes without being said to any sport. Whether it be water polo, football, cross country, there's different adjustments that are made when you're competing in a sport. And if you're not making them, then you're not going to be competitive all the time because you're going to have a track record of what you do and people are going to catch on to those things. Well, that's something that McVeigh does and that's something that we need to do more moving forward. And that is, and I just said it, get Todd Gurley involved. Get him the ball. Let him make plays. And I think we've all been screaming for that, for Todd to get more involved. But if they truly are holding him out until the second half of the season, well, that's that's coming up pretty quickly here. And then you include the bye. But we want to see him get the ball more. What we don't have to say, and what you don't have to rely on pro football focus for, is the play and the rankings, quote-unquote, of the offensive line. Who cares about pro football focus? Nobody cares about that. If you're an avid fan of your team, you can watch the game with your naked eye and see who's sucking and who is not, who's playing well and who's not. And the offensive line is not playing well. Was this the best game that they have played so far? Yeah, it was. But they're still not playing well. I can tell you that I've seen multiple times Multiple, multiple, multiple times where there's pressure from the outside and from the inside. The only two places it can come is where it comes from, and it comes at a pretty consistent mark. Go back to the two-point conversion that Goff tried to make. That was Noteboom's fault. The reason he got bent over backwards is because he didn't finish his block. He didn't continue to block the, the D tackle into the end zone or out of the back of the end zone, for crying out loud. That was why that play happened and why we didn't convert. It's because of note boom. And that's okay. I mean, I get it. You know, he's young and he's playing guard. Yada, 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 yada. Is he a tackle? What is it? Okay, yes, I get it. And I love note boom. Dude, I think note boom is going to be a great player for us. I think he's the heir to Whitworth when he retires. But on right now, in this present moment, in this time, that was a missed block. If he stays with it, Goff scores the two-point conversion, we convert. But that's not what happened. And then you have to question yourself, or at least I do, is Brian Allen still making the calls as a center, or is Blythe helping him out? What, what's, who's doing what? Because there's still a lot of confusion on who to block who. I mean, even on simple stunts and twists, there's confusion going on. And Goff is kind of, I'm sure he's having memories of his days in Cal right now, of getting constantly pressured and hit and having to make tough throws on his, on his back foot and not be able to step into balls because you're getting pressure from up the middle. And it's from Note Boone, Allen, and Blythe. 
I'm not saying we can't fix it. We're going to have to fix it if we want to get to the playoffs, which I think we will, as I said earlier. But this was their best game, so there is some hope and some promise. But you're still concerned about the offensive line. You can't allow Goff to get beat up back there. And although Seattle didn't have a sack, the dude was knocked down a ton. He was facing pressure all game long. And it's amazing that it only threw one interception. Some of the interceptions are because of the pressure. They're not all on Jared Goff. Now, should he just throw it away or go down and take a sack? Sure, sure. He's gotten better at that, actually. As he's gotten better of throwing the ball on the run, which he's had to do a lot this year because of the offensive line. But you have to see more continuity and camaraderie with the offensive line unit. And I'm not, again, I'm not worried. Worry is the wrong word, and I keep saying that over and over this podcast, but that's just a word that I don't feel comfortable using. I'm concerned. I'll be worried like when the Rams played the Saints and LaMarcus Joyner missed that bomb to Ted Ginn and they caught it. I was worried then because, like, you know what? We don't have a shot at winning this game. I was worried then. I'm not worried right now. Concerned? Yeah. Not worried. But the offensive line has got to get better. And it's still amazing that we're putting up the points that we are with the offensive line struggling the way that they have so far this season. So something's still working. And that something is all your weapons that you have around you. Higby's gotten better at blocking. Everett's gotten way better at blocking. And speaking of Everett, the dude was on fire this week. The dude destroyed Seattle. The dude had a breaking out party this past week. I would say continue to see that trend going upwards for him. And having him and Higby on the field at the same time, now you're probably going to see that, especially if they're not going to use Todd Gurley still. You're probably going to see the double tight end formation all over the field. And why not? The guys are athletes. And what's amazing to me about Gerald Everett is the fact that he never gets brought down by one guy on the first attempt. He he makes guys miss all the time. And that was probably, if you, I think if you were to go back and try to find an article and a draft like report on him, one of his biggest attributes and traits was being able to make people miss in open space. And even in not an open space, the guy is such a big physical specimen that he can just shrug guys off because of his size, but he is so athletic, dude. And you have to be super excited to see him develop and continue to grow in this offense. And I know you paid Tyler Higby the money, but you're going to have to pay Gerald Everett too if he's going to end up doing that. So there's going to have to be some give somewhere to keep Gerald Everett, which I think you should definitely do. Right now, again, bearing injury. So the offensive line, not so great, better than we've seen. Tight end play was fantastic, and you can never say enough about Cooper Cup and company. I mean, there's a lot of balls going around everywhere, but Cooper Cup is the man. He has been since he stepped foot on the turf or the grass with Goff, and the guy, the chemistry there is just amazing. And and it's it's unfortunate that Goff tries to force throws to him in tight situations, but he's the guy that you can rely to make the plays. Why? Because he's so precise in his routes and his cuts, and he's got great hands. He doesn't have many drops. Does he have a few? Sure, but he doesn't have a lot of them. And then you have the Brunner and Cooks who goes deep all the time. He's not just a decoy, and you hate to see him get concussed. And then you have Mr. Reliable Woods. There's some money there 
and those guys, and you're going to have to pay Cooper Cup too. So there's going to be some finagling going on with how the salary cap happens this uh, next few years because you want to retain all these guys because they are the core of your franchise. And they proved to be effective again against Seattle. And the offense as a whole was effective against Seattle in the second half, and you're only down one at halftime. I mean, we're not the top scoring offense right now, and I would argue that it's mostly due to the lack of play at the offensive line. Give Jared Goff more time. Give any quarterback more time, and they're going to be better. They're going to make more throws. Then you can run the ball more. But when you're facing a defensive line that puts six guys up there and you're making your offensive lineman block one-on-one, they just really haven't been able to do that that well so far. And you would hope that that would change. It's going to have to change. It needs to change. Because Todd Gurley already said that. There's not a lot to say or to bag this franchise on right now. Especially considering where we've come from, where we've been. We are still 3-2. and two. We're going to find out if, for, if San Francisco is for real or not this week. And we know that it's going to come down to the divisional games later in the season to win the division or to get a wild card spot. But right now, as it stands today, there's not a lot to be upset about. There's no need to go ham and get crazy and and get all jacked up and work your blood pressure up because we lost to a very good team in Seattle. As much as you and I hate them, there's no need for that. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let it ruin your day. Because tomorrow is going to come, Lord willing. And we're going to be pl- we're going to be talking about the Rams, pulling for the Rams, watching football, living your lives like we all do. Thank the Lord for it. But anyway, I've almost run out of time. I'm going to let you guys get rolling. Thanks for tuning in to Rampage Radio Podcast. Make sure you follow us at Rampage Radio Pod on Twitter. Also, follow Rams Talk at Talk Rams. You can find Budding Heads. You can find Rams Undisputed and Rams Brothers. Also, on Facebook, you can find Rams Talk. And the last but not least, uh, ramstalk.net is where you can find articles and all of our podcasts there as well. Thanks for tuning in. Let's hope we can take care of uh, San Francisco this week. We need this win. It's not a must win, but it's a win that we sure need, in my opinion. All right? Take care. We'll talk to you guys soon. Deuces. Thank you for listening to Rampage Radio Podcast. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA. Only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.